right, welcome back everyone to Data Bytes. I'm super excited about the guest we have today, Asanta Kapoor. She is the Accenture Applied Intelligence West Resources Lead, IND Lead, and AI Studio Lead. She is leading a lot. This is a badass lady and I'm super excited to talk to her. Welcome, Asanta. So happy to have you here. Thank you, Sadie. Excited to be here. Yeah, so I want to get started um, You with going back in the history books a little bit of time. Um, you had mentioned that you worked at a museum and this really shaped part of who you were and gave you some of the first exposure to data. And I'd love to learn a little bit more about that experience and how you pull that into all the work you do with data and applied intelligence today. Yeah, no, that's a great question, Sadie, and I'm, I'm excited you caught on to that part in my career so far, but yes, I, uh, you know, I came to the States to go to school uh, for my first master's, and, you know, we were allowed to work like 40 hours on campus, if I recollect correctly, and I literally was doing a watchwoman role in a museum, and this was when I was at Duke University and Nasher Museum, so uh, when I was doing that, I literally had to be very vigilant and know like what kind of guests are coming in and what's happening and whatnot. And that's why I kind of jokingly say that that was my first exposure to a ton of data <laughs> that I had to kind of look into <laughs> to make sure nothing is harmed, uh, you know, at the museum. And then you kind of uh, start keeping tabs on what time people are coming in and like, you know, what's what's happening, what not to make sure that your shifts are aligned correctly. Um, so that's where that comes from. Yeah, no, it's it's so interesting to hear people's first exposure. Mine, I realized the other day was music when I was analyzing, you know, sheets of music and pulling pieces of them together. And I was like, that was my first analytics experience. Oh yeah. So great to hear because, you know, these jobs are so new in terms of the work we do. Most of us didn't get to go to school in it or get exposure to it. So you know, you're working at a museum, you're going to school, um, you know, how did you make that transition from being in engineering and getting your MBA to now, you know, leading multiple businesses in applied intelligence? Yeah, another great question, Sadie. So, I mean, to be honest, um, when I was doing my engineering, right, like I was, I loved it. I was very passionate about it. And I was doing electronics and telecommunication. And, you know, one part of the things that I was working on was kind of building circuits, right? So you build circuits, fiber optics, you learn all about that. And while I was doing that, I was like, gee, like this is good stuff, but am I ever going to be able to sell this? Like what, you know, like what's truly going to happen, right? So I decided to go, um, to go get my master's and I wanted to do a combination of technology as business. And that's where, you know, I, I picked a few um, courses and got my first master's at Duke in engineering management. Um, so circling back to your question on like the transition piece, I feel like I always knew that I wanted to be on the cusp of like technology and business and be able to talk both languages. And, um, I mean, if I said that back then I planned to be in digital and digital transformation and work with data, AI, I'd be lying. I had not planned that way, but just by the nature of jobs that I started getting into after my, um, my first master's was I was doing a lot of uh, work with financial services when I got onto the first job. And of course, you know, there again, there's so much consumer data. There's so much like treasury data. So we were, so I kind of got a lot of exposure there. 
Um, and then with my um, second master's, which was my MBA at Kellogg, I felt like there was, there was a lot that we could do to add business value using data. Because, you know, typical answers, MBA answers, consulting answers, it depends, did not jive very well with me because my engineering self was like, this, you know, it doesn't make sense. <laughs> there nothing black and white with it. And that's how I feel like I kind of morphed or like trans transferred over or transformed into being like the business with data kind of expert, so. Yeah, so it definitely comes through that you have a passion for business and a passion for technology. How do you balance then knowing enough in each of those fields? I mean, technology is rapidly changing, so staying up to pace with that, but also having that business acumen as well. Do you do it all? Do you not sleep? What's your secret to, <laughs> to know it all? Oh, boy. <laughs> no, I don't do it all. Honestly, Sadie, like, I wish I could say that. Yeah, you know what? Like, I, yeah, I got it all under control. Like, you know, this is like a silver bullet that I want to share. I actually don't. But I guess a few things I really, really try to do is stay abreast with what is happening uh, in technology. So, like, especially in the field that we're in, right? Like with EIML data, it's all so new that it's really, really hard to not, to not know what's happening. And I, I think like I, I do my best. And again, I'm, you know, I'm not perfect, but I do what I can to make sure that we have, like I'm, I am on top of what's going on there. Uh, but at the same time, I feel like it's, it's just that excitement and thrill of like, the new things that are there and being able to like add value by those new things that just keeps me going. Like it's, yeah, I don't know. I don't have a silver bullet, honestly. <laughs> so where do you go to get most of your resources in terms of staying on top of what is happening with tech trends? Are there certain website publications that you really like to refer to? Yeah, so that's actually a great question again. Um, I actually look at a lot of um, things. So when we say resources in the Accenture jargon, it's basically the industry which has utilities, mining and oil and gas. So there are certain forums such as UAI that have the cutting edge uh, things that they publish on that with AIML. Um, there are some podcasts which talk about like the evolution of artificial intelligence and talk about you know what, where things are going and what is happening. I love, to, I love to listen to those as well. And to be honest, like within Accenture, we have a very, very strong learning board uh, where you could, you know, kind of pick courses and I know you're ex Accenture, Sadie, so nodding your head, you're like, yeah, sometimes those are pains, which I agree with. <laughs> but for the most part, I think they do a lot of justice to like, you know, picking up whatever you want to learn about and kind of going and running with it, right? So do a combination of these things, uh, basically, to just stay abreast. Yeah, and one of the things I noticed, too, is just how many different areas you lead within Accenture. So not, not only are, do you love to be kind of on the line between business and technology, but you mentioned the resources group, the IMD, the studio. Can you tell us a little bit more about those different areas um, and why you decided to take a leadership role in them? Yeah, absolutely. So I'll cover the studio first since I've been doing it for a while. Um, so for the studio, what got me truly excited was you know how we're talking about business and technology? Like it's truly innovation that's at the center of this, right? Like that's how you innovate, think about new things and new things happen. So the studio, what we truly do there is we had a very small agile team and 
maybe small is not the right word, but like we have multiple small pods um, that are truly agile. And the idea is to rapidly innovate with our clients and then help them scale it out, right? A big thing that we're seeing in the industry right now is there's still a little bit of skepticism when it comes to AI ML, right? Like they don't know what to expect, what kind of infrastructure do they need and things like that. And that's where the studio comes into being. And which is why I, again, right? Like it, it's at the, at the core of what I love to do. Um, and so I was like, yeah, I'm gonna take this on and run with it and set it up. So I actually started it from scratch when this was, you know, just something that we were thinking about and then build it out. So I'm, I'm very excited about that for sure. The other thing, IND, I think like looking at me, I don't have to truly <laughs> talk about what drove me to that, but um, clearly I'm a person of color and first generation immigrant. And I've had challenges along the way, right? Because I came to this country as a student and, you know, I went to, um, uh, my first exposure was in North Carolina and, you know, it's it was different. It taught me a lot, uh, but it was definitely different, right? And I know, um, I guess I know the challenges of that firsthand um, and what it takes to truly, you know, to truly kind of build that culture and how it feels to not be included. Um, so that, which is why I wanted to make sure that, and in this field that we're in with like data, AI, ML, there are not a lot of women, there is not a lot of diversity. And so um, I just felt like we needed that a lot. So wanted to make sure that I'm doing whatever I can, uh, you know, now being in the leadership position to make sure that I'm able to inspire and bring people along and, you know, just, just kind of have a very, very inclusive environment. So that's why I have that role too. So I'm curious for people who are looking to innovate at their company, what advice do you have for them? Sure. I, I feel like for innovation, the key is to fail fast, but try a lot of things, right? Have a small agile pod um, and have multiple of those if you're looking to run multiple work streams, but make sure that there are all these skills that are coming together and that you're able to iterate very fast. And if things are not working, just cut them out and start thinking about new things and rapidly innovate, I think is something that I've learned along the way since I was setting it up from scratch is that don't stick to one thing too long uh, because if it's it's not working, it's probably not going to work. <laughs> so, um, and then again, like, you know, small parts, different skill sets. I, I feel like key part in innovation is having diversity in thinking as well. So when you build that part, when you are bringing these different skill sets together, being able to bring in people who have different lengths that they can, you know, come, come at a problem from, I think has been invaluable for me. So diverse teams, not only in terms of skill sets, but backgrounds, you know, ethnicities, just ways of working and thinking has been very, very powerful. So you have the fail fast is, I'm guessing then there's a lot of failure if you want to get through it quickly. What, to help set expectations properly, how many projects do you try and then what's the success ratio? I mean, when you're innovating, is it, you know, you're going to need to try a hundred projects and 10 of them succeed. What, how do you set expectations or what should people's expectations be going into the process? Yeah, to be honest, it's so variable. It depends on like what you're innovating on, what industry, what kind of problems are you trying to solve for? But I would like, I think the, 10 is to one ratio is kind of correct. Uh, but it's also, again, right, like very variable depending on what you're truly trying to do. 
That makes sense. So then in terms of, you mentioned some skepticism around AI. Uh, why is that? And how do we overcome it as professionals in the industry? We want to move fast. We want to change things. We want to break things. What's the hesitation and, and how do we get around that? Yeah, so what I've seen, and again, this is just my experience, uh, what I've seen is that AI has been in the news for a lot of wrong reasons as well, right? Like very recently, uh, there was this company who was in the news for bias in their algorithms where they were not able to have candidates interview if the candidates belonged to a certain gender, ethnicity, et cetera, right? So that, that's just an example of like AI being in the news for wrong reasons. So I feel like as AI professionals or people even who are practitioners, it just becomes very imperative to build that trust in your data. And I think to build that trust in the data, there are multiple aspects, again, that one needs to think about, which is responsible AI, uh, making sure again, that there are, when you're building these algorithms, you have different people on the table who can look at the algorithm through different lenses and see if there are any unconscious biases that are creeping into those algorithms, right? Um, I think the other thing that we could do um, as professionals, other than being very responsible with what we are doing with the data, et cetera, is kind of talk, talk or think about AI for good. Like how do you, how are there different things that you could solve for, uh, solve for the community overall, right? Like what is it that you could do um, to make sure that there is, more and more uh, comfort with AI. Um, I think the other fact that has helped me personally when I talk to people who are skeptical about this to overcome that is that in the past, it was very easy um, to not trust your algorithms and do things because you never had that volume of data or there was no ability to store that kind of data that you could then build your models on to have that basically training data set that's going to then give you the right output, right? But now we have all of that. So I think that has changed a lot in the industry over years is like the ability with cloud, et cetera, to store data, to truly build those algorithms that can then learn and be very effective. So I think those are a few things that I think we could do as professionals to overcome uh, that whole skepticism. That's great. Some real practical aspects we could take there. So in terms of the future of analytics, you know, there's some people where if you're on the Elon Musk side, it's, you know, doom and gloom of AI take over the world. And then you can be on the AI for good side and everything's going to be, you know, bright and cheery. Where do you fall in and what does the future of analytics and AI look like? I'm actually right in between. <laughs> it's, it's like right in the middle. Um, but for me, to be honest, I do not, I mean, the future is extremely bright for data AIML, just like it was, you know, for like ERPs some years ago and like, you know, when it was just launching and then see how it went, right? I think like now we are there for data AIML. The big piece that I think, uh, you know, we all need to kind of think about and know is that it, Again, in my opinion, I think it's a while out when AI will truly replace human intelligence. Um, I don't think it's going to happen tomorrow. Um, I do believe that though the future is bright for us to be able to truly, for anyone, right? For instance, whoever's in this industry or like wanting to get in, um, I feel like 
upskill and cross-skilling yourself is going to be very important. Um, you could be replaced uh, if that's something that you're not comfortable with or the change that's coming along is you know, something that you're not comfortable with. But I think as long as, you know, we're going with the flow, I don't think like, you know, we'll, I, I personally don't believe that we're going to be replaced by machines, not anytime soon. I could be totally wrong, um, but yeah. Well, that's great. It's good to have a, a positive affirmation that no replacement will come in it. And some really practical advice too, that it's still important for us to upskill and reskill continually. So, you know, you mentioned some resources you like to use to stay up to date with what's happening in the tech industry, but then how much time do you allot yourself to be upskilling and reskilling each week? What's like a practical goal everyone should have in terms of making sure they're staying relevant? Yeah, so look, I have a four-year-old that I have to deal with. <laughs> now, time's flying. <laughs> I have a job that I have to take care of. <laughs> and also the other plus ones that you just highlighted. Um, so in an ideal world, I would love to spend two hours every day just you know, upskilling and like learning and doing everything that I want to do. That would be like my ideal recommendation for people who can take that kind of time out. Uh, but for me, I think even if I'm able to do like 30 minutes a day, I feel pretty good about it. And to be honest, it doesn't happen all days. There are days when I'm just like, no, I need to go to bed or like watch some Netflix, which is <laughs> Netflix that's never going to make sense, but still like, I don't want to use my brains anymore. Uh, but like the short answer to your question is like, Ideally, I think like two hours a day should be, should be enough, five days a week. Perfect. Okay. You got your target now, two hours every day. <laughs> and it's okay to have a few cheat day Netflix oh, days. <laughs> <laughs> Don't kill yourself. <laughs> yeah. So maybe we have some people in the audience who are interested in becoming leaders in their organization. So in terms of upskilling and reskilling and staying present with the tech trends, what are those important qualities or aspects you feel are essential to go into that leadership role? Yeah, so I've personally, like, I, I've looked back a lot on the leaders I have worked with and, you know, truly admired. And what, what stuck with me and what I try to do for my teams is bring empathy to bear. Bring your true self to work. Like, it doesn't matter what, how, when, but just, just bring your true self to work. Be very empathetic because... You never know what battle someone else is fighting, right? And just just doing that, I feel like when I, I've had leaders do that to me, it just made me want to work harder. Like it just made me want to do more than 100%, not only for them, but also for the organization, because that's how you build that feeling in community. I think the other thing that stood out for me personally was the fact that whenever I've had leaders get dirty, <laughs> like I like to call it, but like truly get you know, truly get involved and hands-on and try to solve things with me. I think that's personally been very exciting for me versus like leader, you know, some, some leaders could like sit on the outside and say, yeah, this is great. This is how we should do it or whatever. But there are others that have gotten in and like gotten it done and like worked closely. Um, and I think I've admired and I definitely try to do that as well with my teams, which is just lead with an example instead of, um, you know, just some talk, which doesn't go too far. So yes, that will be shown through quite quickly. So, you know, great advice just in terms of showing up as your true self and, and leading through that example. So for those who are 
looking to get into that leadership position, maybe they're interested in a data career or in tech, you know, what advice would you have for those younger professionals just starting off? I honestly believe that, and again, right, I don't know you can have this from the start, but just know what you're passionate about. Um, Just know that, just try to find that out. Even if you don't know, try different things. Like it's never going to be like, oh yeah, you know, I came out of the womb and I knew that I'm going to become a data scientist, right? (laughs) That doesn't happen. So like, try what you got to try, but find that thing or like, keep an eye out for that thing that you're super passionate about and try to bring that passion with something that's going to pay your bills. So you can get that together. I think that's a pure recipe. Yes. And I think the other thing also um, to note is that you, you need to be able to stick with it, even if it's like 20 hours of a day out of your 24 hour day, right? Like just, just being able to do that, like without thinking about it as a job. And I know it sounds like a cliche. And, you know, when, when I was younger, when people would tell me this, I was like, oh my God, here's my bill ra- bills are racking up. And like, I'm passionate about like <laughs> solving for world hunger. I'm never going to be able to do this together. So like, you know, let's just go to what I have to do to pay those off. Right. But then when, you know, you try to bring this all together and like, just, just kind of finding that, that core, the, the coinciding or like the the delta in between, I think is very, very helpful. And the uh, yeah. overlap actually, which I was like, yeah, I can imagine two Venn diagrams, but I don't know. <laughs> so <laughs> overlap of these two things that are really helpful. No, I think I, it reminds me very much of um, the Japanese philosophy, Ikigai, where it is the Venn diagram. So maybe it's a visual aspect of, you know, finding your passion, finding your mission, your vocation, and then your profession. And somewhere between the overlap of all those is that sweet spot that we all so much look for and, and hope mm-hmm. to find and fulfill. Yeah, that's absolutely it. Well, awesome. I think this provided a lot of great advice. Is there anything else that you would like listeners to know or anything else that we should touch on today? No, I hope this is helpful for everyone. And thank you for the opportunity. Yeah, it's been a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you so much. Thank you.